The following radio play is pure fiction and for entertainment purposes only. From the minds of the James Bond. These guys again. From the minds of the James Bond complex comes a tongue in cheek fictional documentary about the making of a Bond film that doesn't exist. Any similarities with the real life people associated with the official Eon franchise are, let's say, usually coincidental. This is all in good fun because the people involved love James Bond's movies. It's a mockumentary, so like, take a chill pill, man. Okay, peace out. Drama. Oh, action. Oh, sex appeal. Oh, yes, you may think that those are the typical ingredients of a James Bond adventure. They also happen to be key qualities of the making of a James Bond movie. Welcome to the making of Bon Voyage, the latest, greatest, and biggest Bond film extravaganza. Now that Bon Voyage's arduous shooting schedule has wrapped, the filmmakers are faced with another tall order, editing the footage together. This latest Bond project poses a challenge because they shot a lot of stuff. Like, a lot. What to cut? What to leave in? What pace should the movie have? Does the movie perhaps need a narrator? I'm available, FYI. Our documentary team nestles into the confines of the editing bay to follow along. Snip, snip, snip. Oh, we're editing digitally. But what? Why did we shoot on film? So they're finally editing this thing. I thought they'd never finish shooting. I know. It feels like it's been going on forever. By the way, that means we have a lot of footage too. How is this going to work? Uh, a wise person once said, we'll fix it in the edit. Mm-hmm. I see. And who is this documentary's editor anyways? Oh, I found someone. A really, really super cool, chill dude. A really classy person. Super smart and talented. Wow, this person sounds amazing. A real stand-up guy. He is. A remarkable, uniquely talented human being. You know... I've never even met this person, and I feel like he's already my personal hero. As he should be. Ah, taille le travail, là. C'est beau. On tourne. Who are those two guys in the back of the room? Them? Oh, they're filming this movie's making of documentary. Huh. I didn't know they still made those things. Making ofs? They're not as popular as they used to be, but I commissioned one for a bomb voyage. I think we have a good one on our hands. Yuck, I'd hate to be the editor on that thing. Speaking of which, let's get back to this scene right here. Right, so bomb is tied up on the table, underneath a giant sundial. Give me a close-up of his glistening face. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. Well, how about this one here? We can see the beads of sweat trickling down his cheeks. Wonderful. Plus, the look in his eyes suggests he may crap himself. I would if I was about to be used like a human marshmallow. Oh, shit. What? Look right here. Here are the establishing shots of Bond tied up. Here are the medium and close-ups. That's fine. 
But our next footage is much later in the day. The sun's in a different position. <clears throat> I hate it when this happens. And what, may I ask, do you mean by when this happens? Let's just say I've run to this issue on previous films. It's okay. I've got this. We'll just cut to the other shot. No one will notice. <laughs> Seriously, what is that? Some sort of editing technique from back in the 80s? The point is, it worked. Yeah, back when fans didn't have the means to rewatch and rewind and pause and zoom in on their favorite films, I don't feel like finding an everything wrong with Bomb Voyage in 15 minutes video online. Fair enough. Look, you always say to fix things in the edit, so that's just what we'll do. Let's, uh, let's use some editing magic to zoom in on Bond's glistening face and do one of those, uh, one of those desert mirage heat wavy effects. Make it look like he passes out. Then we cut to later in the day. Hmm, not bad. A little artsy-fartsy for my taste, but it could work. Trust me. When you go through art school, but love action movies, you learn some tricks to make films snappier. Good, good. Hey, what time is it? It's about quarter to four. Do you want some tea? Hmm. You know what? I think I do. That's odd. I'm more of a coffee person. Ah, that's the bread effect. Spend time making movies here, and slowly but surely you start craving tea, especially at four o'clock. Man, I could really go for some Earl Grey right now, even though my taste buds say it's gross. It's over. They got you too. We could use the energy. There's lots of editing to be done. Approximately three months later. <sighs> wow, we're done. Thank God. Uh, I've forgotten what sunlight feels on human skin. The world is blackness. Go home, take a shower, see if you still have a wife and kids. Then, get back here in the UK. The promotional tour starts in a month. We're leaving John Glenn, really. Uh, it's just he's taken on a different role. and so We're and, meeting um, John Glenn again for the first time. Exactly. And I was actually looking at the IMDb pages for some of these editors uh, that work on the 80s films. And some of them were assistants on films like Moonraker and Spy Who Loved Me. So again, it's this in-house graduation. It's like you go to film school within the Bond family, the, the Bond factory, uh, if you will, and, and people who are assistants and doing uh, more super supervisor jobs on, on Spy and, and Moonraker. Now the editors on movies like Fries Only and Octopussy and, 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 and such. Um, where, where, I find, I, I think we're getting, we're stepping into the decade where you... Matt, you've you've been on record a couple of times already as saying some directors shoot for the edit. Correct me if I'm wrong. Are are we in that decade? Are are we? Oh, we're, about we're, that? we we are with a director that shoots, okay. shoots for the edit, but only for action sequence. There, that's 
that's the thing about John Glenn. There's two things he, he likes. He likes shooting action sequence and he likes he likes using the zoom lens. Because when he has drama sequence, these are the most boring like TV production drama scenes that you could see uh, in a soap. There are things I'm I'm looking at License to Kill and it looks like a soap opera opera from the era. There's there are things that I like about John Glenn, but there are things that I'm, that, that I'm I wish he, like he wish he did drama better. There are stuff in, a, in some of his films that I'm like, oh god, I wish you know you can build tension mm. for a guy who's about to be uh, killed by a pair of uh, twin assassins, but he can't really do drama between uh, a man and a woman that you know are supposed to have feelings for each other it's each other it's sometimes really bizarre like they're they're licensed to kill as most bizarre drama scene ever put to film in a bond franchise i feel like this stuff uh, between pam and and bond in the, the hotel sometimes they're, they're just like not not well composed or and just boring to like look at and sometimes instead of i feel like instead of you know um, let's do another setup let's get closer he just zooms in and that's you know uh, two for one shot that's the impression i get from him as a director but for his action sequence i'm fairly certain like i you know i would i think they use for memory i see i remember seeing uh, storyboards of license to kill in for the the truck chase i remember seeing that might be in my mind's eye that I'm, I'm imagining things but I, I'm fairly I probably I be, find out actually well, I wouldn't be surprised if he used uh, storyboards mostly for, for, for his directing so the guys that you know get this footage just there's only one way we can edit that sequence let's do it John, the John's way yeah it does seem as if he he yeah doesn't always I, I suppose have, being an editor himself it, it's almost a bit of a I'm going to shoot for what I know we can use um, as opposed to sort of maybe giving more options in the, in the edit, which I guess is good from a budgetary point of view, but, but maybe not so much from a creativity point of view or, or, or not. I mean, he's the director. He has to make those decisions, but it, it does sometimes feel, I mean, I, I agree in relation to some of his, his drama sequences and, and um, he's probably more direction than, than editing, but the fact that there's often not, um, he often shoots things in a very wide, slightly flat shot, not much coverage, not much close-ups, as you said. Yeah. Um, but also there's not much camera movement. There's often, it's often very, there is a certain static feel. To some of very it. So stagey. Octopussy has a, some, I think Octopussy has quite a lot of camera movement and a bit more, it feels a bit more energetic. And I think Living Daylights has some really great um camera moves and things obviously pushing into tim when he turns to reveal him and stuff but yeah i do find some of the um some of the way he sort of plays scenes out almost in in a wanna really and and then and then so when it's then cut into the film it it maybe doesn't feel quite as cinematic as as some of the other directors and i think it's just his his eye for a frame i think lewis gilbert just has a very good eye for an interesting frame and i think john glenn yeah. Maybe less so, but but it's interesting because but but from an editorial point of view, I think something I really noticed when I was reviewing some of his films for this this podcast, I think as well is considering he is a, an editor, 
I do find there is a again we're getting back to the sort of word sloppy but I think there is a bit of a sloppiness sometimes in the way he puts things together not so much the action scenes but but for example I think I think all of his five films or at least three that I, that spring to mind he's not very good at say a day to night transition or a night to day transition there's oh. times when you will have these scenes that will be they'll be set at night and then it will almost hard cut to daylight and it's obviously shot in midday like midday top light sun as well rather than sort of a sunrise or vice versa you'll have you'll have scenes um where yeah just these some of these editing slightly mm -hmm. cl clunky bits of editing considering he is an editor i think some of the edits in license to kill again you've got the scene when q first turns up mm -hmm. kind of, i hope you don't snore q and that's that's day one at night and, and cuts to in his office, the following night. night but it mm. just it's the same night but then bonds on the roof abseiling and it just all that it needed was a transition shot or, or a scene of them planning to assassinate sanchez or something but again these are sort of editing things that i think when you watch the film it's to me anyway it's slightly jars because it's sort of oh are we at the same night but i thought they've just gone to bed what's and and mm -hmm. octopusy has the sort of octopusy's lair fight and then it sort of hard cuts to roger on a horse chasing the plane and yeah things like that that are just slightly and again I, obviously not everybody can be a roger deakins where you slowly show show the sun setting in skyfall getting <laughs> darker and darker throughout the scene but there is a bit of a slightly, yeah, a slightly sloppy aspect. Furies only does a couple as well, so I think it's it, it's a it's a weird John Glennism that just he seems to slightly overlook in in a number of his films. I I hadn't noticed the one. It's funny. It was only until somebody might have been you, Matt. I don't remember back in the day. It was only I, I had to be told about the license to kill example. I, I had never actually clued in on it, but now that I know about it, it's it's unavoidable. It's just, it's such a strange cut. But I had in fact noticed the octopusy one where the palace fight, where clearly, it's clearly the night. That's not, that's not, a, that's indisputable. There's, there's no debating the point. And the horse, well, horse chase, the horseback chasing a plane moment is, at the tail end of this fight, like, how long was this? How long have they been fighting for? They've been fighting for eight hours. Like what's going on here? So it's either the longest palace fight in the history of palace fights, or yeah, they got a little sloppy there in the edit. And um, maybe they should have just waited to shoot the plane sequence at, at night. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't you know, do, but it's... you can do, do day to night grading. I mean, the whole end of, uh, for your eyes only uh, sorry uh, from rush with love back in the day you've got whole sections of that film mm. which i mean sometimes it looks a bit corny because you can see shadows and it's meant to be nighttime but <laughs> at, at least it sort of symbolizes <laughs> at night rather than these i suppose for me i'd prefer that than a sort of hard edit from when he's looking at shot he's mm. looking at he's, he goes onto the wave crest in license to kill and it's pitch black and then it hard cuts to sharky outside dead and it's Mid middle of the day lighting and it, it, it's just i don't know it's more jarring to me than if you'd have done a slightly cheesy blue blue filter grade for a thing is that in i in 1980s i don't think day for night 
place very well. You could have done the like blue lit uh, Cameron style night uh, night the, the way he films at night. Everyone's blue. Could have done that, but yeah, that, 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 there are other ways you could have fixed. But in Octopussy, I think the cons the context of the scene doesn't. Like logically, it doesn't make sense. I don't think a couple of uh, dancing, I wouldn't call them, uh, I don't know what to call it, entertainers of the night would go to a palace at, let's say, be, the, sun, the sun rises at six, let's say, they go there at five, <laughs> 5 a.m. and they fight for like 45 mm. minutes and the sun, you know, mm -hmm. I don't think that happens. Like, I think that's that's mostly something that happens at like midnight ish, mm -hmm. like a couple of entertainers. Yeah. I love that name, Entertainers of the Night. <laughs> I mean, they could be early risers, I don't know, but I suppose in terms of, but in terms of editing and film language, and again, Bond doesn't generally do this, but you, I suppose when you are in those kind of scrapes, and you and you have, I mean, we've, we've seen this in in movies, and it's a bit it's a bit creaky. But having a cut of a shot of the sun rising, you just have a shot of the sun rising. Oh yeah, that's there you, you go. Know, I mean, they do it in episodes of Friends. It's kind of oh, a transition from day to night done, and 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 it's but but it John Glenn. And again, I'm not just singling singling him out, but it's quite noticeable in a number of his films. But so it's even having those um, sort of transitions, passing of time transitions, just to help. And even if you look at the end of *License to Kill* on the end credits, you've got aerial shots of what's going to be the city. You could have just used a bit of mm. that in between, just mm. to show a passing of time. Of, I mean, it, cheesy as it is, but you just have a dissolve yeah, into that. A Bizarre John Glennism that you just picked up on. I know, I never nice. picked up on it. A view to a kill also end with like gorgeous shots of uh, San, San Francisco for some reason. It's, yeah, a, it's, a, it's the only two films I can think of that end with. Octopussy has has the boat floating oh, off into mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. sea, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of how the other. Oh, and, and you've got swimming. He yeah. likes his uh, images over the end credits mm. rather than just black credits with text going up he likes his oh it's mm. margaret thatcher talking to the parrot whilst they're swimming off in the sea um and the and the credits roll so yeah maybe that's, that's kind of a so it's not just the pigeon and the jump scares for the birds it's sort of these weird other I, I, credit sequences um and once again this is the non-filmmaker speaking but I, if you had to pop quiz me or, or just sort of prime my brain well edgar you don't make movies but why do you think something like that would happen why why would that sort of sloppiness in the day to night transitions why would that occur it would probably be because what well, they just didn't think of shooting anything they just it was too late they wrapped up principal photography that budget is done it's now time to edit this and they're sitting there in the editing room going like thickish we didn't film the goddamn sunrise in India. Well, what are we going to do? Well, it's too late. Just make, just splice together, you know, the palace fight and the horseback chase, you know. Um, and, and it, which is disappointing because he is John Glenn and his editing team. You got John Grover's, uh, I Peter Davies. Yeah, between those two guys, there's a third guy that pops up, but uh, it's mostly between those two guys, Grovers and Davies, that you know they edited most of the mm. 80s film. I, One has to think it's just lack of footage. 
John Glenn is a former editor and there are multiple editors on these movies. Like how can, apart from not, apart from non-existent footage, I don't understand how you can mess that up. And yeah, I, I don't, I don't really sort of get it. And even the script must have, must know, you must know when you're shooting it. Okay. We've got the action scene of Rog hanging off a plane in the day. It's going to be set in the day because we can't do those stunts at night. It'd be too dangerous. And then you mm-hmm. shoot an octopus's palace fight. And, and yeah, I don't know. I, 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 but, but even, I think even with license to kill, he, you, you can see that he's got that footage of, Isthmus City, the aerial shots of Isthmus City, because it's over the end credits. So it's kind of, couldn't you just, so you have that. So it's, it's, yes, it's interesting. I mean, and I know with License to Kill had a lower budget because they were still paying off Moonraker and, and there were certain limitations of shooting in Mexico and things, but it, mm. but it still seems as if that material is is there. So yeah, I just find it, or whether it's something that he's just sort of um, doesn't really, just thinks, oh, it's more I don't about care. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of oh, let's just keep the film moving. And but sometimes when you see it so slammed together, it's it's probably I think I think it's just more of a jolt. You you, you really mm. notice it because it's not particularly smoothing or even just putting in a fade out. I mean, as cheesy as that is, it's your most basic editing get out of jail card mm. of just fade out mm. and then it fades in again and you got into a different location and it's sort of passing of time. But like you say, it's the timeline itself doesn't quite line up because you've got octopuses mm. crew turning up at half five in the morning and going hey we're ready to party and everyone's gonna uh, all the guards are going i just want to get to bed um and then and then it's suddenly daytime so i i, I don't know yeah so it's, it's very odd those were think those are some of the things that i noticed um that were just kind of a little bit yeah a little bit odd really this i i find this uh you and you gentlemen can feel free to disagree or add on to this but i also find this decade is is one where um it's another um curious example of having to make a scene work in the edit despite the fact that the material is not that great i know we talked a little bit about that when we uh, discussed uh, golden gun and diamonds i'm going to go to a view to a kill uh when uh bond and um uh, Sir, uh, Sir Hilary Bree, what? Uh, Sir Godfrey, uh, they investigate uh, the, the, the the drugs that they're given the horses and they have to fight these guards. But like Roger Moore, Patrick McNee, the actors playing the guards, none of these people are fighters. But we 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 film the fight, we film fisticuffs and we have to make it work in the edit. Uh, my argument is not that it works in the edit. I'm not making that case. I'm just stating, here's an example of, uh, we filmed it. We can't go back to this set. It's done. Principal photography is over. Work with this. <laughs> it's I, almost yeah. an argument to cut the scene completely to have more. I mean, I know they want, wanted to put action in it, but it doesn't, you could just have, they're sneaking about and they hear a noise and then they put the, the capsule back in the, in the tray um, and then you just cut to them getting outside and going, oh, they're going to close the portcullis. That that fight scene doesn't have any story purpose. It's similar to the uh, to the fire engine chase. I mean, it's obviously you want action in a Bond film, but I suppose in the, in the case of that fight scene, yeah, you, they were obviously trying to edit around four men who are not the most active and agile as they could have been. So it, it's almost 
do you do you try and kind of creak around with with making it work or do you just go okay we can just cut that completely and just move on yeah i don't i don't know it's, it's sort of one of those one of those things because um, i don't think there's any shortage of action in in view to a kill anyway um i think there's enough so having that scene removed i, I don't think would have actually hurt the film i think if anything it would have been slightly made it a bit less possibly embarrassing i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a, um, uh, embarrassment you know it's part to me i i like a view to a kill uh, because you know it, it's, I think it's a good. I feel like it's it's a good Bond movie, but also it's an embarrassing one at the same it's time. It's both amazing and awful. It's uh, exactly, like it's both it, awful. It, it makes it entertaining to me. I mean, I mean, uh, I I can't like say that. Oh, it's all great. It's amazing. It's the best movie. No, it's 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 definitely not. But it's funny. It, it is like I <laughs> I've done bad movie nights with that film, and it's funny as well i've watched it movie on my own as a movie like as any movie and i'm still entertained like there's great performance but yeah the, speaking of editing the, the the you know the magic trick of that movie is they make roger Moore for the most part of the movie credible as an action star which he was not when you 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 you, you know you, when you know you that he's not in any of the action sequence it's you know they they've done what they could but when he does a sort of a, a cartwheel and he uses the shotgun or you know he's fighting atop the uh, the, the, the 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 bridge there you know it's not Roger you, you definitely can tell when he's skiing you know he's there to take off the boots but he's not skiing yeah, but you mentioned the Golden Gate fight. I think that's really well edited, though. I think that looks really, really good. Oh, but it's it's, it's well uh, edited, but you know, you 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 can it you can only hide the the chicanery up to a certain level. At one point, you know, if your star can't you know do the work, uh, mm -hmm. oh, recast. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's one of those oh, things. Uh, I guess that's sort of yeah, and I. And I I wonder if maybe losing some of those sequences earlier might have helped help with those things um, as well. We possibly, yeah, say say that fight in in the um, factory. It, it's speaking yeah. of factories, <laughs> yeah. and, and, which is funny because you saw we get the both the best of both worlds with with John Glenn and his editing uh, teams. It's not always the same people throughout these five films. You know, we've spent a good few minutes about some of the the, the clunky moments, but then there's the Golden Gate uh, Bridge fight. There's the climb atop Saint Cyril, which I think is 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 a masterstroke of tension. Oh God, that 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 gave me nightmares speaking of fear of heights that's probably because that movie now i think of it it, it is it horrifies me that knowing that he's on you know he's holding by that one pit and then that yeah. guy is about to knock it off and then, oh, oh. that's great great yeah, i great think, I think some of those sequences I, I think and also just get back to to view to a kill as well where i think there's some sequences in that that are actually edited um really effectively I'm just thinking of May Day in the back of the Rolls Royce, the way it builds up the tension with the mm. car wash. And even, even the bit, I, I think some of the action scenes work better for Rog, obviously because he was 57. I think he had really bad flu making that film as well. So I think he was quite under, uh, under the weather as well. And, and, and I think some of the action scenes in that film where he's 
breathing the, the air under the tires and made and you can keep it keeps cutting to mayday and mm-hmm. uh, yes. Orin watching him and through the water a bit yeah. of tension and when he's in the um underwater uh pipe um and mm-hmm. um and some of those types of sequences when he's climbing down the steps when the city hall's on fire those types of sequences i think are edited quite well for building up the tension but it's not this intense action fight scene that that as we talked about i think doesn't quite work for for rog when he's no. in his mid to late 50s um whereas those types of action scenes i think are a better fit for 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 that per- person of that of that age so yeah i, I think it, it's it's about playing to using the edit to play to that person's strengths i suppose um and, and in fairness as well when i was a kid i didn't really think about his age i just watched it when I was a little kid when that yeah. film came out, I just went, oh, it's James Bond doing stuff. I didn't kind of go, oh, Rog looks really old. And what's, isn't it a bit creepy that he's necking with all these hot blondes? Um, and um, so, I, yeah, I, don't, I, I guess that's something that I, I probably focus more on. In, in you know, so it's repeat viewing, you notice things, but some things they, they pop uh, <laughs> very quickly on a second viewing. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Hmm. Um, but yeah, and I suppose that sort of potentially is a segue to then Timmy D for for a sort of a, a new take on the role and possibly the edit new take on the editing maybe. Yeah, because it's uh, John Grover does those two uh, predominantly. I think Peter Davies helps him a little bit on Living Daylights though. Um, when we've already talked about. Oh, by the way, the reason why I picked up the. Uh, this thing was to find because uh, you were questioning uh, yeah i think uh, I've, I've seen storyboards of the... there are storyboards star storyboards Good. i had them i mean I, I, terrible you know, but then right here oh uh, yeah you, you you can't shoot a sequence like that with some you know as limited as 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 storyboards are for previous you need at least that for for a movie of that scale uh mm-hmm. you know you got mm-hmm. the truck, you got the plane, you got the actors, you got, you know, the fire. You need to coordinate all of that for a single shot. Must be a nightmare. For sure. For sure. And there's a number of those in Living Daylights as well. I mean, just the the uh, fight in Afghanistan between the Mujahideen, who were good, good guys back then, uh, and the Soviets. That's, that's quite an endeavor. That's uh, one of the last times we got a good guy battle versus a a bad guy battle between two forces that really are kind of bad guys, but whatever, we don't need to get into the politics. <laughs> Again, I think the, the editing actually does a really good job um, of blending Timothy Dalton with his, when his stunt double is, is there. I think the actual mm. the editing blends maybe because of Timothy Dalton's able to do maybe a little bit more of the action anyway, but I think they actually do a, a better job of, of, of blending when it's BJ Worth hanging out of an aeroplane or when it's yeah. a stunt man on the top of a tanker truck um, to cutting to, to Timothy Dalton. I think, I think it seems the editing just seems a little bit more polished around some of those things as well. And the Gibraltar stuff. I mean, I think the, uh, the work print of living daylights, I've not really, I've only seen a couple of bits, but the work print of the living daylights is quite an interesting mm-hmm. comparison because you can then see actually different edits and different, different sequences and I think some sequences work better the bit when I'm just thinking of when he cuts the rope for 006 or or whichever one it is when they're climbing up the, the side of the cliff and you get the guy sends this spionum thing down and he cuts the rope and in the um 
in the work print edit, he cuts the rope really quickly. So the guy barely has a chance to, to grip onto the cliff. Whereas in the mm-hmm. theatrical version that they released, there's this sort of really long moment of the guy looking up at him and it's, and he's, and, he, and part of me as an audience member goes, well, you've, you're a double O agent. You've got time to cling onto the yeah. cliff. Whereas when it's done really quickly, it doesn't make the agent seem quite as slow to react because the guy just drops the, the tag down and then just cuts the rope immediately. So things yeah. like that from an editorial point of view, where you compress things to actually build a bit, bit more logic to, to why the character doesn't just grip the cliff. Picture, the picture uh, quite really shonky, so it's really hard. I only watched a couple of bits of it just to see, but it was so hard to watch. Mm. Nevertheless, it is interesting. I know the uh, the, the Blade Runner uh, is, is famous for having its uh, assembly cut or work print uh, cut. So, yeah, it is. And I've seen that one. It's an interesting experience. I, I do. It does get me in the in the mood to watch the work print of of the Living Daylights. You, you, you mentioned the 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 um, the better editing with respect to action and, and Timothy Dalton having to do his own his, his own stunts. I, I think John Glenn is such a gentleman because. He's on record. I don't, I don't think I'm making this up. He's on record for saying, you know, post a view to a kill. Well, I think Roger could have done uh, many more uh, bonds. This is a guy who obviously likes, likes shooting action. He obviously finally has an actor who can do his own action. And Timmy D's on record for wanting to do his own action. You would think like, oh, yes, Sir Roger's gone. I now have an actor uh, pretty much in his prime who's who's gung-ho and and i agree with 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 the assignment i think the action probably in large part to timothy dalton's presence uh, who has a bit of um he looks nimble he's sort of svelte nimble uh he looks kind of flexible in in that in that respect um, the, the action works really, really well. He looks fantastic when he's running uh, in the Gibraltar pre-titles and he's jumping on onto the truck. I'm describing the action and not the editing, but <laughs> it, it works. I, 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 Timothy Dalton's presence, that's an example of an actor's presence helping the editing, whereas maybe the factory fight in A View to a Kill is an example of the actor's presence not helping uh, the editing. Oddly enough, it feels as if it's got a bit more energy. Everything feels, even with the ed- the edit itself, because they're probably similar lengths. I think Avtac and um, Living Daylights, but yeah, it just feels as if everything just has a little bit more energy to to even just some of the drama and the suspense sequences of him with the sniper rifle um, in Bratislava and those kind of. It's, it seems to be better, slightly better mm-hmm. at building up more tension and sus- and suspense. Um, and not not so that I don't enjoy. And the other the other ones, and I think there's sequences in Octopussy with the diffusing of the bomb and things um, that I mm-hmm. think does a good job of that. But I think overall, it just feels as if it's everyone just seems to it's, it's as if Tim's um, involvement suddenly gives everyone a little bit of a more of a spring in their step, maybe. And again, not to say that Roger was sort of phoning it in, but like you say, he's he's getting on a bit, and I think he was quite under the weather for for the majority of his. I know he had gallstones for Moonraker for your eyes only. He was broke his hand, I think, or something broke his wrist and then uh avtac i think he had really bad flu for for about a month so again was, so again mm. that's not, not going to give you whereas i think octopus he seems to just have a bit more energy in his performance and mm. so then if, obviously you bring in tim who like you say is spell he's he's quite tall he's obviously been working out a little bit more and um and it's just younger so i think it just gives the whole production a bit more of a zest maybe 
Timmy the Timmy Zest. I like it. Timmy Zest, yeah. A bit of prime dolt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I don't know, we don't have to get into the whole, I wish we, he, we wish he had done more, uh, but uh, it's the way the cookie crumbles, I guess. Matt, uh, he's, he's your guy. We're talking about your guy, your boy. The uh, editing of Timmy. How do we edit it. Timmy? Timmy, you, you, don't, you don't edit, you don't cut, Timmy. Timmy is too big. You know, but, I, I, you know, his physicality, I think there's a better match between his stuntmen. I think, the, and I, from behind the scenes, the stuntmen really speak highly of, uh, of Timothy Dalton. He seems to be more involved. So the way it cuts between him and the stuntmen, honestly, pretty seamless. Uh, I, you know, if I looked at the movie frame by frame, I would probably be able to, uh, that's not, and just logistically, you know, that in those shots in uh, living delights where, where he's on the, I don't know what you call the bag containing the, the opium bags sort of Mm -hmm. mesh thing. That's probably not Timothy Dalton (laughs) when they are like 500,000 feet in the sky. Probably not him, but you know, for for for, for the, the the it works in the context of the film, uh, where you know it's, it's it's where things get sloppy for that movie. There's there's a lull in Afghanistan, and there's some bits of humor at sometimes that I'm like, Ugh. it's it's Richard Lester. That's that's a problem again. Uh, he's back. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. There, 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 there's. There's humor that's very, especially a view to a kill. Uh, but you know, there are, it's still there. It's been mostly removed. Then that that carpet escape, thankfully they removed. <laughs> I've seen it. I'm like, yeah. yeah, that's no, no, it doesn't work for Timmy. The, the Roger might have pulled it off, but Timmy is it just ruins his image. He doesn't look like a badass. He looks like a he looks like a moron. No. Just, I hate that sequence. Thankfully, it's on in the movie. But there, 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 there are tense sequence. I feel like the the editing works more with the actors. There's there, the drama in Living Daylights is most the stuff between him and John Rice Davis when he's like, oh, I have to die. That's 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 great stuff. And the way it cuts. Uh, to him, to, to, his, to his assassination and the reveal that authentically James Bond is a very good shot. Um, yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're good stuff in, in License to Kill, uh, in Living Daylights. License to Kill, like I said, I, of the two of them, it's my favorite movie, but there, there's some stuff I'm like, God, I, I, I just a close-up here, a little close-up here in the drama sequence, oh, a little bit longer, longer edits. I'm like, that, that, the drama between Pam in, in that hotel, there's a, there, there, there's a sequence when he suspects that she's, a, she, she's sort of a, 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 double, like a double agent of some sort, and he confronts her with the gun. There, there are moments there that I, you know, just mm-hmm. tighter editing for the drama, but the action sequence, I mean, the truck, the, the truck sequence is perfect as far as I'm concerned. It is a very fun action sequence. And there, there, there are some stuff in that movie that feels very 80s, which people use as a sort of a detriment against that movie. But to me, it's like, I, I like 80s action movie. I feel like you know, they have a tactileness that they don't, you don't have in movies anymore. And when you, there's an explosion, you can, like, you see the camera sort of. T- sort of jump a little bit because of the blast you see debris everywhere it's mm. it's not sleek you know when you watch a marvel movie these days it's so pampered every every defect is removed and it feels more more fake it doesn't feel tactile and because mm. it is not they they did film on sound stage and the, with with 
idiots running on 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 uh, treadmills with green screen. Oh, the, the the idiot the idiots are back. Yeah, the idiots. <laughs> uh, no, not that. It's just it, it, it's it's a way of filmmaking that you know mm, I don't yeah. go to action movies for a cartoon, and uh, that's why I prefer Bond because for the most part it's it's still done in camera, and I hope it stays this way. But this one is the it's the one you know the last one that didn't have any CG in it. This is uh, the end of an era for License to Kill uh, and Bond, and it's 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 really, uh, God, I love my '80s action movies. Like I died, <laughs> Lethal Weapon. Uh, those are I I just rewatched them during the the holidays as I do annually. <laughs> so those. You got half the cast of that in uh, License to Kill as well. So exactly. That, probably more <laughs> one more reason I like License to Kill. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's it is it, it is a comfort a comfort food of a movie for me. Even Johnson though, and Johnson. Uh, Johnson and Johnson. Uh, you got Michael as well. You got uh, you got uh, Anthony Stark in uh, in License mm-hmm. to Kill. Um, Michael Kamen does the music. Music. Uh, yeah, it's great, great stuff. I. You know, people complaining about the clothes also of, of Vaughn, but I feel that, especially in License to Kill, because it's off the rack clothes, Timothy Dalton moves probably more. It, the, the clothing are loser, but it makes his, his physicality more credible because like, he's not constrained by these clothing that feel like you, you can only mm. walk in a certain way. Uh, so the way it cuts, the, the action sequence, it's just that drama is sometimes a little bit iffy. There's stuff that work, but you know, there and they are like the shot when Felix Leiter, and it's also directing wise, but when Felix Leiter wakes up, wakes up and talks to James Bond on the phone, he's like, oh, chippy. And it's <laughs> just that flat shot, and there's no, yeah. like, there, there's so should be some emotion and that call should be like hey man how's it going unless he's really high on painkillers but he <laughs> should have made that clear that he's completely lying nobody told him his wife was dead um oh i like that theory <laughs> and that's just after the phone conversation that's when the doctor uh excuse me yeah, mr letter can, can i have a moment uh, good news bad news kind of deal uh you're alive <laughs> bad news your wife isn't what <laughs> But also in terms of license to kill, I mean, um, from the editing aspect as well, I think for, for me anyway, there, there is, um, I'm not, I'm not one of these people that's, I'll put the deleted scenes in in everything. I generally prefer when they release a director's cut, I generally prefer mm. the theatrical cut of say Terminator 2 or, okay. or Aliens, um, the theatrical cut I prefer just because it's a little bit tighter, but mm-hmm. I do there's some of the deleted scenes in license to kill actually i think would have benefited being in the film there's a few times where it it boosts some of the production values uh and it sets up some of the drama a bit more you've got there's uh, there's some of the deleted scenes there's one of bond in his hotel room on his own and he's Sanchez on the tv and you've got lots of extras in the background and and it's 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 bond brooding and planning and, and all of that stuff and then there's just a couple of beats like that, that I think, uh, and, and setting up um, mm-hmm. Truman Lodge when they arrive at the airport and there's Truman Lodge and um, Hella, and which sets up Pam's connection to Hella. And there's a few little deleted scenes, which I think if they'd have trimmed 
some of the other sections or tightened up some of the other sections and inserted some of those deleted scenes. Um, yeah, and, and I think even the um, the end with uh, Felix that, that was just been mentioned, I think you could have edited around that. Well, actually, I did. I, I as, a, as a lockdown project, I actually re-edited License to Kill just for fun. <laughs> Um, and and just just to see what it would look like with those deleted scenes in and and um, and I actually slightly restructured the end and, and tried to I mean I didn't have much of the footage because it's only what's in the mm. film that I could have cut but some of the David Hedison stuff you can kind of cut around him being quite so hi James let's go fishing my wife's dead and uh, good and, David Hedison and, and that even just in my really basic editing it could have been softened in, in some way. Um, and uh, so I do think there was some, some editing tricks that they maybe, um, I don't know, maybe slightly missed, missed opportunity really. And, and I guess, and, and just to get back as well to what was mentioned about the humor and, and Timmy with his sort of, yeah, I think some of his, his, when he's doing a joke, I just don't think it lands very well. Mm. It came to a dead end and he just, you could even Tim looks as if he just doesn't want to say it. I think that for me, the humor in, with Tim, it works when he's reacting to somebody like a Saunders or the woman in uh, the beginning, the, the Bosch pig, all that stuff at the beginning of Living Daylights, where it's him reacting to, to other people being amusing mm. and him looking as if he's got a cluster headache and getting really annoyed by Cara with the cello or whatever. <laughs> to me, that that's when the humour works for Tim, but where it's more situational. Whereas when he's trying to make a atmospheric anomaly kind of joke, it just... He can't really sell those in a way that, it, say, Brosnan or, or Rog could pull off a, even a slightly corny one-liner could sort of make sing off the page. Uh, whereas I think Tim just, and you can tell his heart's no, not really no. in it. No. So I think, so again, if they've edited around to make the humour work more with him, to play to his, again, playing mm -hmm. to his strengths. Mm -hmm. and, there, there's that uh, joke, especially speaking of editing, in the Living Daylights when uh, he, after uh, killing Necros, he goes to the cockpit, and Kara um, uh, asks him where, where where Necros went, and he, he says, "I get." There's not even a close up of it. He, he says that comment so off the mark, and hmm. it. I think it's when he says it, it's. We're probably yeah, looking yeah. At, 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 at an insert of a cockpit. Uh, reading and he's like oh i gave him the uh, gave him the boot you're like what what and oh no we're gonna crash the plane it's like it's a weird mm. edit for for that joke and they're really cutting the way and i i, I that humor they're they're really because uh, dalton wants to play it so straight and they have to force these one-liners and like i i don't know what his process was as an actor but it's yeah, yeah it feels like he was and I, I don't know what he was thinking uh, because this the the really? book version of Bond is so so uh up you know straightforward action guy he doesn't do that when he quips it's later on in the books he starts doing a little bit mm. more quips yeah. and, and that's clearly inspired by the Casino Royale version of Bond that doesn't do that so it's mm. weird that you know as you said the humor really works with Kara. And the living daylight is the, the the humor is just got no, not, it's not working. I'm fascinated by the John Glenn Timothy Dalton relationship. I mean, we could do a whole podcast for me about about their relationship, and I know they don't. I, I think 
from Living Day License to Kill onwards, they didn't really speak and they had a big bust up, I think, on that film. And so I know there's some, and I think on the on the Hot Fuzz audio commentary, Tim makes a few offhand comments where I, I can't remember exactly, but I think one of the one of the actors he's with talks about the Bond films and they go, oh, who, who directed your two Bond films? And he just goes, some editor. And then... <laughs> I, I can't I, I don't know if that's a quote. I could be slightly misremembering it but I think it was something along the lines of he, he makes quite a obviously doesn't there doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be much respect for I think he respected Cubby Broccoli a lot he carried his mm-hmm. he carried his coffin at the funeral and stuff but I think in terms of his relationship with John Glenn I think was again probably didn't help those him wanting to explore the character and John Glenn maybe pushing the Rog style humor and I think just to, just to end on the um I think it, in terms of an edit that works for the humour for, for me in terms of how Tim plays it is, is there's, a, there's the sequence where he gets Kara out of the phone box oh. living daylights and there's that oh, I mean, yeah. it's a classic comedy hard edit where yeah. I've got to get my cello we have 10 minutes if we're lucky we're not going to get your cello hard cut to him waiting in the car and just <laughs> for okay. sake and then she gets the cello into the car and accidentally hits him on the head and, and you can tell he just has that sort of I've got a headache I just don't want to be doing this, but that that sort of hard edit contrast and mm. we're not going to mm. do the hard cut to him doing it and looking really annoyed about it. That to me is when the humour of Tim really really works. It's quite visual. It's quite like I said. It's quite situational, reactionary rather than him trying to be funny, and making it making a quip. So yeah, I guess that's when it seems to it's, land. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. There does seem to be you know obviously we're Bond fans here. We love both of the films dearly, but since we're talking about the editing and editing around humor or, or trying to make a bit of humor land or uh, Matt, you, you uh, alluded to some of the dramatic scenes, like when Bond is uh, sort of inter- uh, aggressively interrogating Pam Bouvier because he thinks uh, she may be working for the other side. Um, there does appear to be a strange drop-off from living daylights to license to kill with respect to those qualities specifically. I'm not, you know, I still like the movie, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre. Yet it's the same bond, the same director, the same editor. And yet there's something's off sometimes with the editing of license to kill. We talked about the, the, uh, the, Day for nights, you know, is this the same night? Is this a week later? <laughs> is this yeah. 15 minutes later? Um, weird. They start shooting with uh, an unfinished script. And I think in they, that, that's, that, that was a major drawback for, for, for that film is that they, they weren't ready to shoot. That script was not finished. As far as I'm concerned, they, it still needed a polish. And they just went ahead and started shooting and tried mm. to fix it in pro- production. And, you know, even in editing, I they probably tried to fix stuff that mm. didn't work. There's, you know, Eller is... If you watch that movie without the song on, without subtitle, you know that old the entire subplot of Eller. It's you know in, in filmmaking they say show don't tell, but you know Eller the stingers. It's all tell. You never understand if you don't have oh, the yeah. subtitle. You're like, what the hell's going on? That's something. <laughs> and I, I, I oh, go ahead, man. Yeah, I feel like there's a there's tension that could have been you know created there. There's an opportunity for tension, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, it's not there. Like they, sh- 
That's there are right. times when I watch License to Kill, and God knows how many times I've seen that film, I forget the Stinger subplot. Right? Get the Stingers. What's st- right, right, right? The Stingers. That's why Helen is there. I completely forget. It's not important. It's a bit. It reminds me a little bit of. I mean, I really, I really like the film, so I don't want to sound as if I'm knocking it at all. But I do feel there is a bit of a whiff of cheapness about it. I know they were. They had a, had to reduce their budget and shoot in Mexico and Cubby Broccoli wasn't on set that much because of his health problems. And, and, and I think the budget limitations do show, I mean, the fact that we talked, when we talked about it has this sort of TV movie look and, and some of the lighting's very flat and, and just, um, and I think in terms of the energy of the overall film, especially if you compare it to similar action films of the time. And again, I really like license to kill, but if you compare it to say this, this um, the style and the polish of say like the Lethal Weapon Two that came out that same year, mm-hmm. is just much more oomph and yeah. energy and slickness to it, and and where they obviously Bond is trying to compete with those films because it's putting in the same actors and same composers and it's trying to compete with the diehards and stuff, but it just doesn't quite have the I don't think John Glenn or or, mm-hmm. or the budget is quite there for it and i think poor old timmy d is sort of slightly stuck in the middle where, where he's obviously wanting to do this take it back to from russia with love style more serious to the to the books and the film as was mentioned i don't think the script was quite there and then and then they're trying to maybe mm. get a little bit fixed in the edit but then they've got a fairly limited production time and, and so, so i think it just yeah i think that there is just a little bit more of a i, I think the budget limitations show more in license to kill for me than say i think living daylights looks really slick and i think tim looks really handsome and really stylish in that and then i think license to kill he's got his his weird hair and his, and, and some of his costume choices are a little bit oh my oh, god you cool call so many it's a, oh god the, the hair like i don't mind the hair as much as many people do but it's always that thing with the hair that comes back when fans talk about that that film it's like, his hair is horrible i don't know it's it's not. I think it just, it just doesn't make him look really super cool. I think that's the thing. There is a bit of a slightly. Yes. It makes him look vicious. I feel like he, when it's slicked back, he just looks, and he's all he has. It looks. He, 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 there's a. It gives him a lizard-like quality that you know, if it's just pampered on the side, he doesn't have. He looks a little bit more vicious with that haircut, and I, I, I guess that's. Mm. Looks so like he's having more fun in that behind-the-scenes photo than. Uh, than <laughs> I, you know what? With those two women around, I would be happy to. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. it's it's unfortunate. Uh, I remember the special features on the DVD, which are on the Blu-ray and the uh, and the 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 Apple copy. Anyways, they ported over all the the digitals. Uh, Put it all. The, what am I saying? Um, they've ported over all the the bonuses on the Apple versions and. Um, they, they interview Timothy Dalton on set, and I don't know. There's a bit of a whiff of uh, I might be done with this. I don't know. It's strange. I don't know. I'm not getting the same enthusiasm from those interviews as I do from the Timmy interviews on the Living Daylights DVD. It's not the same Timothy. I mean, he might be sensing that. Mm, I don't think I really wanted to sign up for this. Actually, I'm having second thoughts here. It, not, 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 not grotesquely, not like overtly. And he's gonna. He feels like he wants to walk off the set. I'm just. I'm not getting that same. Wow. I, I don't think fun. it was a pleasant production. From, from, from you know, your your script's not finished. Uh, 
Broccoli was getting sick at the time. Uh, he's fighting with his director. Uh, he's, he's directing some of the, the scenes himself because the director does is not interested apparently. Because I know that's <laughs> that, there's he he said it himself I think or it was it uh, I don't know who said it, that that it might might have been Pam herself that he directed that scene where they're on the boat and they're making out. And he, they're about to kiss. He's he's directing her, and I'm like, yeah, that's not your job. Babe. But if you if your director's not interested, I guess you kind of have to do it yourself. It's uh... more tongue. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think Darvi has alluded to that as well. I think I think him and Darvi had a similar yeah. connection in terms of their approach to the performance, and they took it quite seriously. And I think John Glenn, I, 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 obviously, in fairness, you're trying to make a a million dollar production you, you've got lots of stuff going on but i think there was a real sense of he wasn't maybe there for the actors as much as as say mm. tim or robert darvey would have liked so i think they sort of worked quite well together of sort of yeah, and i think well, that shows well in the film yes, i think those yes, scenes god stand damn out. it highlights of the film davy and dalton just like i love them to make another movie together like today Honestly, they're great when they're in the hotel and they're they're having their first uh, discussion. And at one point, I think I, I I mentioned that in our episode about less, but it looks like Dalton's mirroring uh, Davy, and he's sort of Davy does something, Bond does it to him. There, they're just it's just great. Uh, I, I and when they, that when they're having coffee, the and the witty, they both laugh. Oh, oh, oh. They have these these great creepy <laughs>, laughs. I, I love these actors. I Long just, awkward laugh. Well, I think Dalton. Like I think Dalton was going to be in um, the Christopher Columbus film that that Robert Darvey was in, that John Glenn was going to direct. I, as I um... understand, that was I think eighty nine ninety um, f- for the, um, the I think because John Glenn directed it, and I think because they had a and again I can't remember. I don't know if it's definite, but as I understand that because they had a bit of a bust up on License to Kill, Dalton then didn't want to do the Christopher Columbus film. I think Robert Darby Oops. is still in. I can't remember. That's been a while, but I think that I film still has Darby in it. And Marlon Brando, randomly. Yeah, there's. And there were a pair of competing. Not the Ridley uh, Scott one. Yeah, it's not the Ridley Scott one. It's the well, you've got John Glenn or Ridley Scott. <laughs> Take your pick. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I think that had, a, had an effect on Tim just going, look, I'm not getting what I need from this guy. It's unfortunate, but... yeah. So, oh, yeah. and like you said, maybe that sort of affected him being quite as interested in the role, and then obviously the legal problems, and then maybe there was a bit of a point of him just going, ah, "I think I'm kind of done with this." If there's mm-hmm. going to be more, more delays or something, and um, so yeah, so we obviously never got that third, third Tim film. Um, but uh, yeah, so all these things are kind of interesting, um, and I think yeah, I kind of wonder how much of if there'd have been a bit more time in the in the oven for license to kill in terms of the editing and the production, if right. it had landed a bit more with the American market, or, or, yeah, I don't know. Or whether, or whether audiences were just expecting a slightly slicker films. Obviously, eighty nine was the summer of Batman, Lethal Weapon two, Back to the Future two. These very slick. Uh, Honey, mm. I Shrunk the Kids was filming at the same time in the same studio mm. next door to License to Kill because. Rick Moranis was a big Bond fan and said he, him and Timmy Dalton hung out on set, which seems a very odd combo. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, but anyway, but yeah. So but these these are sort of very Hollywood slick kind of movies that were coming out and being really successful. And then License to Kill came out in sort of late '89, and obviously for whatever reason didn't find its audience in America. And and I guess that sort of mm. reflected in in obviously the legal problems as well. And and yeah, so maybe Tim was just I'm just gonna go back to which Tim, is whatever doubly shameful because it's a film that's clearly hoping to to sway the american audience it's very uh i suppose as much as a bond film can be it does feel like a very american bond movie and yet that's actually the one <laughs> that's actually the one that didn't do very well uh, matt you've been making funny faces for a few minutes are you finding some stuff oh yeah no just you know it's the, the title of the movie because there's 1492 it's christopher columbus the discovery that the jungle directed uh, i was curious to see you know if davy made it in the movie he did but it's also a license to kill reunion as uh benicio del toro is also in that movie mm-hmm. and you know they they, they have uh speaking of production they uh, dalton actually sued the production because this was a uh Elia and Alexander Salkine production from the Superman movies and you know the, these guys mm-hmm. have uh you know we've Good never people. done a Superman the the, the detour but uh, whenever that happens like these guys were like uh, uh Scheisser maybe uh I don't like a little of des for my French speaking friends uh, uh, he sued because apparently they had but I understand why he, he, they had George P Cosmatos as director but that guy is known mm. to be like a puppet director I don't want to insult him but it's been known that Dal- Dalton puppet the puppet directed the he was the director of Rambo 2 but it's Stallone that directed and I think the same thing happened with uh, Tombstone. <laughs> You're saying Dalton directed Rambo too. No, no. <laughs> really? Tombstone was uh, d- d- directed by Kirk Russell so I don't know. It's, it, he's not uh, I don't know why you hired him but apparently they didn't uh, Dalton filed, well, I'll read uh, what's written. Dalton later filed a lawsuit against the producers for breach of contract and fraud stating that they did not provide a bank guarantee of his for his 2.5 million dollars salary uh, that's a lot of coconuts for for dalton i you know i i like him very much but uh yeah i in in 1989 that's not you know that's not good money it's yeah good that's money. good money like today i have a chunk of dough old buddy yeah <laughs> all these interesting elements i think that that obviously not really to do with editing but i, I think just in relation to tim's i'm not gonna say cynicism but just, I, I suppose, just after the after the sort of experience of Living Daylights, which was successful and well well received, and then I think just him having a bit less enthusiasm, I suppose, for for the way that mm. I suppose that his he he probably thought it was going in one direction, and maybe John Glenn was steering it in another direction, and he just thought I'm just not worth my time, really. Mm. There's certainly right. plot points that would suggest it could have gone in a different direction. And, and it's not that it doesn't, in some respects, it, it does take itself quite seriously in, in many respects. But yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit sloppy, a little bit cheap, cheap looking. Um, but um, uh, and, and just it, on record, I still I like the film. I'm not I'm not I don't want to. Oh, you and it. I both. I think mm-hmm. I think we are both uh, in the Timmy camp, in the licensing camp. I, I like that picture. But, you know, I'm not. I'm not blinded by by my love for it 
that and I'm not seeing the flaws. I, I see the flaws of every movie that I like and not, nothing is perfect in this life, but I, you know, it's, I, if you, some, I still like that movie. It's still, it might be nostalgia, but it's. I'm it's glad not- you, uh, I'm glad you, you, that you're philosophizing right there, uh, Matthew, nothing's perfect in this life. Cause you know what else uh, is, isn't perfect. Uh, a 12 hour long episode about the editors of rough teams, <laughs> but we're, we're going to, we're going to conclude uh, this one right here. And, and now um, uh, Matt, did, yes. did you, did you let someone else in the, uh, in the chat room? Uh, I, I don't know, man. I, it's, it's my new computer. Sometimes. Uh, oh God. I, I see somebody's trying to invite let's see if i can see don't oh. don't let him in don't let him in That's don't don't right. don't don't please don't I, uh, god oh, he's right uh, <laughs> got, oh, uh, just... yeah 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 simon uh I, 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 on behalf of the james bond complex i want to apologize that you had to witness this uh we've been hacked um m white in the chat room all caps multiple exclamation marks and a skull sign uh do you have people everywhere <laughs> you have people everywhere <laughs> yours, yours, yours is super mine is oh, i can't do it like you um, showed just in time things were about to get nasty uh, that's i i like that line i love that line which, um, which the bloody podcast off <laughs> <laughs> That's very good, actually. I like that. You, 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 you're the second guest. You and Mike Reyes, friend of the show, Mike Reyes, who's a, who's a, a pop culture journalist for Cinema Blend. You, you two do very, very good imitations. Very, very good imitations. We need to make a a show with you two where you just play characters in the Bond <laughs> universe. <laughs> um, but we do have people everywhere. We're at uh, www.thejamesbondcomplex.com. Uh, Facebook, search for the James Bond Complex. Uh, Instagram at the Bond Complex. Twitter, no, no. Instagram is at the James Bond Complex. It's Twitter that's at the Bond Complex. Uh, we're hosted at Anchor, uh, Anchor.fm. Uh, you can uh, watch some videos on YouTube. We're actually uh, courtesy of, of Emery more than anyone else these days, but we actually have video content on the YouTube channel. Search for the James Bond Complex. Subscribe and tickle us with the uh, thumbs up button. Uh, you can listen to us on Spotify, uh, Franco, Quebec, something, uh, Google Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and uh, my best friends in the whole galaxy, uh, Apple, Apple Podcasts. Um, Simon, not only thank you for coming back to the show, uh, spoilers, you're automatically coming back because we're not done. Um, but where can people maybe find you online? If anywhere, you're a little bit quiet. And if not, uh, tell us maybe about some projects. Or yeah, I don't have much of an online presence. I like to keep myself uh, off, off grid. Every off now the grid. I like to go a bit skyfall and, and just kind of <laughs> you know, get away from it all. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, if people desperately wanted to get in contact with me, and I'm, I'm sure via via James Bond Complex, you put it put in touch with, um, and yeah, and it's just in relation to a, I've got a, a few projects coming out. I've uh, produced and, and directed 
um, a film which is meant to be coming out in in March uh, of this year. Um, it's been put back more times than No Time to Die, so I can't I can't <laughs> guarantee that. But uh, that's a film that I directed and, and edited, and uh, and also a film that I I uh, co-edited and produced, um, which came out. Uh, got, got re-released last year because it's a, a zombie film, so it's got a, a, a infection-based mm-hmm. storyline. So that got a re-release, a cash-in. Um, but uh, and, I, and I re-edited some of the sequences in that as well. Um, and then the director put a load of the old sequences back in. So I guess that was an interesting, <laughs> interesting kind of again this editing aspect where I'd mm. I'd be trying to pull out the bits that people didn't really like, and then the editor had his own style that he wanted to put back in. And so I had to just let go of. Of, I did my bit, and um, right. mm. yes, so that's been a, and it's been a, been a real pleasure to to chat chat about the uh, about the films and about the editing and the constructions, just to get to get different viewpoints as well, get hear hear both of your opinions on different on things, and on, yes, it really- was a very thrilling episode, and I, I enjoyed very much you as a filmmaker and you met who still has at least some editing experience. It was interesting getting those perspectives and how things were explained and compared and contrasted and the little details you two would spot in certain scenes was not just uh, you know educational and, and thrilling for myself, but uh, hopefully the listeners will uh, will enjoy these uh, 16 uh, episodes um, as well. <laughs> part I'm, series i'm not even going to tell the listeners how long this recording has been going on for and we haven't done the 90s yet um but uh we'll be back with uh, not necessarily <laughs> next week but but we will back in the near future the very near future because i think we're, we're on a roll here with uh, more of the 90s the aughts and uh, well basically brosnan and uh, and craig uh sur ce uh, toujours un plaisir uh, uh, merci beaucoup. À la prochaine. Morigato. Ciao belli. Don't joy bogat samida. Baka. It's the music here. Wonderful romantic music comes in. Mm. I think the whole soundtrack's fantastic. Yeah. It's the same guy that did the last James Bond movie, you know. Oh, is Arnold, it? yeah. I believe. Samford. Who directed your Bond movie? A fellow called John Glenn. John? John oh, Glenn. Yeah. Yeah. He used to edit them. Did he? And then became a director. He did about six of them, I think. Mostly with Roger Moore. Funny man. I did a movie with him afterwards. Of no good at all, but... Um, oh, yes. He's very funny to me because the... Um, the script... Altered, and, I, and he kept ringing me up and saying, what do you think of the alterations? I said, well, I don't understand why the leading man's part has become this woman. He said, well, it's the producer's girlfriend. <laughs> I said, That's a good reason as any. I said, it's can't a very you good reason. He said, well, it doesn't matter. He said, I find that they can either walk or talk. I find out what they can do, and I let them do that. 